Okay, this is going to be an in-depth presentation called Resolving the Rapture Riddle, a presentation of the Pre-Wrath Rapture Position, which is a product of the Pre-Wrath Resource Institute. I would encourage you to check out their website, prewrathrapture.com. It's a great resource. Their goals are simply to educate the body of Christ about the nature of the Lord's return and to provide resources, as well as to plant churches favorable to the Pre-Wrath Position. So you can go there to purchase additional resources, or check out their podcasts and blogs available at that site. Okay, jumping right in. Question one, why study prophecy? Well, one-fourth of Scripture is predictive prophecy. So if you're going to study Scripture, you're going to be studying prophecy as well. Also, Scripture commands that we study prophecy in 2 Timothy 2.15. Question two, why study the Lord's return? You know, it's really a comfort for God's people. The Bible refers to the rapture as our blessed hope. A lover never tires of the hope of his or her love's return, basically. Question three, will it all pan out? Yeah, it's going to all pan out in the end, but that's really not the issue. The question is, how hot will the pan get exactly before it all pans out? Number four, why bother people who are not interested? You know, if the pre-tribulational position is correct, then pre-wrath is not a problem. But if pre-wrath is correct, then pre-tribulationalism is a problem. Ultimately, it's really all about Jesus and his commands to wait and to watch. How to study the Bible is critical to studying the Bible. Your presuppositions about the Bible must be in clear focus before studying the Bible. Your Bible study methods will always determine your interpretation. There are two broad overarching methods or approaches to biblical interpretation. The allegorical interpretation is one. The reader determines what the scripture means in the allegorical method, and it is highly subjective. Without collusion, no two people have ever come up with the same interpretation utilizing this method. There are many variations, but ultimately any interpretation that does not attempt to discover the normal, natural, customary sense is to some degree allegorical. The second broad overarching method or approach to biblical interpretation is the face value method. In this one, the reader discovers what scripture means. This method is both objective and subjective. Without collusion, two people can consistently come up with the same interpretation utilizing this method. There are many variations of this one as well, but ultimately any interpretation that attempts to discover the normal, natural, customary sense recognizes that the meaning of the text is determined by the author and not the reader. All scripture has a capital A author, that is the Holy Spirit, and a lowercase a author, like Luke or Paul or John. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.13, For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end. So which Bible study method should we use to understand prophecy? The best guide to how to study the Bible is the Bible itself. There are many examples in Scripture itself of individuals interpreting and explaining the meaning of a text in their day that had been written beforehand. For example, Daniel is writing about uh, Jeremiah's prophecy, and he says, Hey, look, Jeremiah says that we're going to get out of here in 70 years. And he takes that at its face value and interprets it in a literal way. And we should follow their example concerning the correct way to discover the meaning of Scripture. Prophetic fulfillment of Christ's first coming is a good example. There are over 300 separate prophecies, over 50 aspects of Christ's life, and they were all fulfilled in a literal or face value way. 
One question would be, how did God teach the Old Testament Israelite to understand prophecy? And we see an example of this in Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22, which says, But the prophet who shall speak a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he shall speak in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And you may say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So he tells them, believe only what comes true, literally what comes to pass. So here we are told to understand prophecy in this face value way. If they say such and such is going to happen in a few years and it doesn't happen, we shouldn't allegorize those years to say, well, he was just saying, you know, those years were a figurative amount of time or things like that. Basically, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And you should know that pretty obviously. You know, the Bible is speaking in language that's really easy to understand. But the problem, especially in prophecy, is that people hold views about prophecy that won't allow them to admit that it is as simple as it is saying it is. And so they have to say, well, it actually means this or it actually means that. But I hope that you'll see throughout this study that the Bible is telling us quite clearly about things like the Lord's return and other issues that we will be covering. Two important face value conditions that we need to understand about this hermeneutic or this method of interpretation. First is understanding that the English Bible is a translation. We're not working directly with the Greek and Hebrew text of Scripture, so we must accept that a translation is never 100% equal to the original. Also, there are no contradictions in Scripture. This is a really important part of biblical interpretation. If you have contradictions in your view, then it's like the Bible telling you, hey, you don't have the right view yet. If you do have the right view, all these contradictions should harmonize. They should all fit together. And that's how you know, hey, I've got the right interpretation, whether it's with prophecy or just standard the theological issues. So the first of these five principles of a face value hermeneutic is to seek to discover the author's intended meaning of a text. It sounds simple. You're trying to figure out what the author meant, but you'd be surprised how, how many people are trying to put in to the text what they want the author to mean. They, they sort of disregard what the author clearly means in his context and what he's trying to say. The meaning of a passage is determined by the author at the time of writing, not by the reader at the time of reading. Intended meaning never changes. But because there are, as we discussed, sort of two authors to every passage, that is the capital A and the lowercase a, God and man's uh, meaning, a passage may mean more than the human author understood because God intended more than the human author understood. It says, if the plain sense makes sense, you have the right sense, but not necessarily all the sense. So a good example might be Psalm 22, where David starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David was just intending that for his local context and his time about him and his enemies locally there. But the Lord actually had more meaning intended for that and would apply to and be a prophecy of the Lord's crucifixion. Number two, recognize the importance of context. A text without context is a pretext. So if somebody is just quoting you one verse and telling you that this verse means such and such, it's good to go back and look at how that verse is used in the context of that sentence or that 
paragraph or that chapter. You know, you say, well, in this chapter, what he's referring to there is the church's disobedience in Corinth or so on and so forth, and he applies it this way. It's important to understand what's happening around that verse. Some people call it the 20-20 rule. That is, 20 verses before and 20 verses after a text give you the context. Context limits what a word can mean. Number three is let scripture interpret scripture. Psalm 119, 160a says, The sum of thy word is truth. The best interpreter of scripture is scripture. The importance of comparing scripture with other scriptures should not be undervalued. A good concordance will be helpful for this, like Young's analytical concordance. Martin Luther agrees with us here. He says the best interpreter of scripture is other scripture. Number four is to determine the literal referent. What this means is that the Bible, like all literature, uses all kinds of different literary devices, like symbols and metaphors and similes and parallelism and all kinds of different things. Christ often speaks in parables. But when he speaks in a parable or when he gives an allusion to a fig tree or some other symbol, he is doing so to explain some truth to us, some literal truth. And he's using this symbol to explain that. And so our job is to determine the literal referent for, let's say, his parable. Or, for example, when something obviously is being used. Let's take Revelation chapter 6, where it says, The sun will become uh, dark like sackcloth, and the moon will become like blood. Now, we don't actually believe, even though we take a literal view of the Bible, we don't believe that the sun will actually become sackcloth, and the moon will become like blood, or blood itself. In fact, it says right there in the passage, it will become like blood. So we need to determine what the literal referent is for that symbolic idea of the moon becoming like blood. And in that case, Joel tells us point blank. He also uses the, the idea of the moon becoming like blood. But he tells us it is because its light is diminished in Joel. So, And also we have the word there, like blood, and as sackcloth, to tell us that it's not actually blood and it's not actually sackcloth. So... The Bible and prophecy specifically often uses these symbols of dragons and so on and so forth. But if we look carefully, the Bible is telling us what the literal referent is. And so that's the fourth principle, to determine the literal referent. Number five, look for unique interpretive clues in prophetic passages. This is to refer to how prophetic scriptures also have things like near-far implications and pattern fulfillments. Let me give you an example of what I mean. In near-far applications, things like the seven churches of Revelation are written to seven churches in Asia, and they really do apply to those churches, and they speak of things that really can only apply to those churches in the first century. However, they also clearly go way beyond that in their scope and speak to the churches of the last days. In addition, things like pattern fulfillments, this is where we see types of of Antichrist, such as uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and, and so on and so forth. We see these types that are clearly meant to, in some ways, prefigure something that will come true in a much more literal way. So with prophecy, we have uh, to take a little extra care when dealing with interpretation because there often could be something a lot bigger happening. Another example would be the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord has implications in several places that just refer to a judgment upon Israel by its enemies. 
But in so many cases, what is called the eschatological day of the Lord is in view, where it may refer to that, but it also goes well beyond the scope of anything that could have been accomplished at that time. So we have near-far applications and we have pattern fulfillments in regard to prophetic scriptures. So number five, look for unique interpretive clues in prophetic passages. A.W. Tozer expresses the philosophy that must guide the interpreter's mindset. He says, when you find the truth of scripture, that truth always stands in judgment of you. You never stand in judgment of it. So recapping the five keys to a face value hermeneutic. Number one, seek to discover the author or author's intended meaning. Number two, recognize the importance of context. Number three, let scripture interpret scripture. Number four, determine the literal referent of figures of speech. And number five, look for unique interpretive clues in prophetic passages.